Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, uh, welcome to Luke Part 2, otherwise known as the Book of Acts, which I guess the fuller title is The Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. Which I've heard is better, maybe titled "Some of the Acts of Some of the Apostles." Yeah, this is by no means a an exhaustive account. Yeah, really, what it is is it's kind of a summary of events that incorporate not only what the apostles did, but also what a lot of the early Christians themselves were doing. Some of them will be more in an official capacity, like an evangelist or something like that. But some of them are just recording regular Christians that are out doing the Lord's work. And out spreading the gospel, and uh, it's really cool to get to follow them throughout this book. Yeah, and so this is kind of the, uh, so Jesus has come, Jesus has died and risen from the dead, and he left. At the end of the book of Luke, he ascended back into heaven. Now what? <laughs> and your, the book of Luke ended with the command of Jesus to go and wait in Jerusalem. Um, he said, in uh, verse 49, this is Luke 24, 49. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And so they have gone back to Jerusalem, and they are waiting there, praying there, and that's where the book of Acts picks up. So again, this is Luke writing. Um, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which those two books alone make up like, a huge chunk of the New Testament as yeah. far as just word count. Yeah, it really is fascinating. And the thing that ties these two books together that we emphasized last week that we'll emphasize again here is this fellow named Theophilus. And so Acts 1, verse 1, starts with the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, well, that kind of makes sense. That's talking about the Gospel of Luke. That's exactly what we looked at last week. But he goes on to say in verse 2, Until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And that's, that's really key. Jesus is setting up his apostles to go out and to continue this kingdom that Jesus started and began when he was on earth. And that really sets up well what the book of Acts is going to record, is the apostles in their journey to further this kingdom. And then it'll record people that the apostles converted and what they went on to do. And so it's really cool to kind of see uh, the Jesus movement um, picking back up momentum after he's been crucified and resurrected and continuing to make an impact on the world. Yeah, that's right. So, so as Luke is writing, we noted this about the first volume, the book of Luke. Um, Luke is a Gentile author, from what we can tell, the only Gentile author in the New Testament. And he's not an eyewitness to most of these things. Now, we will talk about this when we get a little bit later. Uh, Luke is an eyewitness to some of the events in the book of Acts. And you can tell because of a subtle shift in the pronouns. Luke doesn't mention himself by name, but suddenly it says they, it goes from saying they went here and they went there and did this to we went there and we did this. It's very cool to see the we sections of Acts and know, hey, Luke was with Paul on this part of the journey. But of course, he's getting all the rest of these stories by 
the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but also by talking to Paul and Peter and the different guys who did these things. And so again, he's kind of you can kind of picture that interview process behind uh, the making of this book. Um, there's going to be lots of historical references in Luke. He's going to talk a lot about the different rulers um, and Paul's interaction with them, especially toward the end of the book. He's going to emphasize money and possessions a lot, like he did in the gospel uh, when Jesus was here. Uh, we're going to see the Christians living these things out, and he takes time to catalog like all the different times they were sharing with each other and giving, being very generous. The other thing on the historical note that I'll point out is the geography in the book of Acts is really fun mm -hmm. to follow. Um, so if you're reading in the book of Acts, I would encourage you to either flip to the very back of your Bible where there should be some maps that kind of help you put your eyes on these places that are being mentioned, or just simply Google some of these first century places and maybe put book of Acts map and something should pop up there. Because it's really cool to think about these places. They are real. You can still go there today and find some of the things that the Bible um, references and talks about where mm -hmm. these people were in that day. So it's really cool to see the footprint um, as you read through the book of Acts. Yes, which a note on that, if you're using a map as you go through, you'll also find out that Luke writes in a particular way where he does not give equal time to every part of the journey. Yeah. Sometimes in like one verse, he'll cover a huge leg of the journey, and then he'll spend like a whole chapter on one conversation that happens. And so yeah. just like the Gospels are a selective account of Jesus' life, Luke is writing a very selective account of what the apostles are doing after Jesus' departure. Yep. We're going to continue to see prayer emphasized here in this book. So watch for prayer. Watch for the mentions of the Holy Spirit. He is all over this book. Again, it's hard to almost find a page without some mention of God's Spirit. And also we'll see women really emphasized uh, and brought out in various roles in the book of Acts like we did in the Gospel of Luke. Yep. Um, and again, that would have been very surprising for the day that Luke was writing in. Yeah. That was not a popular thing to focus on, and yet Luke does that, I believe, by by the power of God. Yeah. So Luke actually outlines his book for us in a way by referencing something Jesus had said to the apostles before he ascends into heaven. Uh, this is in Acts 1 in verse 7. Jesus said this is to the apostles. It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now that last part of verse 8 is kind of where we see a good outline for what the rest of the book is going to be yeah. about. Um, chapters 1 through 7 is going to be about them witnessing and testifying in Jerusalem. The apostles, in just a second, are going to take their stand on the day of Pentecost and preach to a huge group of people that a portion of will end up becoming Christians, and that will kind of be the beginning of the church here as we know it, and it predominantly stays in Jerusalem until there's a persecution that arises in chapter 8, and a lot of those folks are scattered or sent back to where they were from, and that's uh, that second part of Judea and Samaria. Um, that's chapters 8 through 12 of the book of Acts. And then chapter 13 through 28 is the ends of the earth, um, to the remotest parts of the earth. It, it, Paul goes all over the place, teaching the pre uh, and preaching the gospel across much of the known world to that point, and it spreads like wildfire uh, throughout the entirety of the world. Mm -hmm. And so that really outlines the book well for what is happening. Yes, and again, I think it's helpful here to see that these are things that also Jesus is not going to be physically present in this book, but I love in Acts 1 verse 1, where he says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. 
And we know that Jesus is going to be continuing to do this. Uh, in some of the miracles in this book, they're going to say, why are you looking at us like we did this great thing? It's Jesus that did this, you know, through us. But um, I think it's really cool to think about. It is the acts of the apostles, but it's really the acts of Jesus through his people mm-hmm. um, that we're going to see in this book. So the, the first of those three sections you described, chapters 1 through 7, is going to be about Jerusalem. And that's going to really uh, set the stage. I mean, this is where the last parts of Jesus' life happened uh, in Jerusalem. That's where he died. That's where uh, he was raised from the dead. And where he appeared to his disciples, he also appeared in Galilee and some other places. But a lot of stuff has been going on in Jerusalem, uh, which is, of course, kind of the capital of Israel and the center of uh, worship there with the temple. And so in Acts 1 and 2, we're going to have kind of the preparation for what Jesus promised, the coming Holy Spirit. And then we're going to have the actual coming of the Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel. So Acts 1 just gives us a couple of short episodes. The first is that Jesus ascends to heaven. We've read a little bit about that. Luke ended the Gospel of Luke with the ascension. He has a little more detail here in Acts 1. But then at the rest of Acts 1 is devoted to getting back up to 12 apostles. Uh, there were only 11 left because of Judas' departure and he took his own life. And there's a little bit more detail given about that here as well. But Matthias is the one chosen, really, by Jesus. Uh, They pray over that and cast lots, but it's Jesus really doing the choosing here, like he chose the original 12. Uh, Matthias replaces Judas. So you have a full complement of 12 apostles, just like there were 12 tribes in the Old Testament. And that is like, okay, everything is ready now, and they are waiting. Uh, We do find out in Acts chapter 1, verse three, that it's 40 days um, in between the time that Jesus rose from the dead and the time that he ascended. So there's this 40-day period where he's instructing his disciples, teaching about the kingdom of God. And then it's going to be, I think, another 10 days, if I remember correctly, because Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. and Jesus was killed on Passover. So it's about another 10 days or a week or so that we get to Acts chapter 2, which is one of the most important chapters in the whole book, just because it gives us a hub of so much of prophecy leading up to this point and what things are going to be like going from this point. And so Pentecost uh, was a Jewish feast and celebration. I mean, there would have been Jews coming from all corners of the area. It was one of the um, three major feasts where everybody's got to come to Jerusalem. That's right. And so um, they're all gathered here, and the Holy Spirit falls upon each of these men, the, the apostles, that is, and they're able to speak in these tongues. And uh, uh, we say tongue, but really, uh, to get us in the right idea, it's a language. It's, it's a language that they wouldn't have known or studied before, but they were miraculously given the ability to speak in. And everyone's amazed at the men being able to speak this way. And it's really cool because it points out in verses 9 through 11 uh, that there are 16 different nations represented on the day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem. And some of them are confused and they're perplexed. What does this mean that they're able to do this? Some are just blaming it on the fact that they're drunk or something like that, um, which is interesting. And Peter is going to stand up with the 11, and he is going to give this beautiful sermon about Jesus. And ultimately, he's trying to emphasize that because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he is the King of Kings. He is both Lord and Christ. 
this Jesus whom you crucified. And he's obviously trying to change their perception on who Jesus was because many of these people had a hand in Jesus' crucifixion or were for it. And now they need to understand that he is your Christ, he is the Lord, he is the one that the Old Testament scriptures had been anticipating. And so Peter goes through a, a number of passages, um, passages like Joel 2, Psalm 16, um, Psalm 110, and other places to just illustrate that this is the Christ and his defeat over death is why we can have hope and trust in him. Yes. And so this sermon, again, go back and read all, all the summary we're doing. We hope what's your appetite to go read these things. Um, but one other cool dimension of Acts 2 is looking at what happens at the very beginning when the Holy Spirit comes on his people and there's the sound of the rushing wind and then there's the visible image of divided tongues as a fire appeared on them, rested on them, which reminds us of the temple in the Old Testament and how the glory of the Lord filled the temple. There was a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, um, showing God's presence. And essentially what's happening here is God's finally moving in. You know, we talked about uh, the anticlimax in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, um, particularly the days of Zerubbabel, when they built, rebuilt the temple after it was destroyed um, in 586, and they rebuild it, and there's no glory that enters. But now, God is coming into his temple, but it's not the physical building. <laughs> He's moving into his people. And so the book of Acts is really going to also reflect on God dwelling with his people and what it looks like when God is dwelling here among his own. So in Acts 3 and 4, um, well, actually at the end of Acts 2, you see what it looks like. There's a beautiful passage that talks about uh, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it describes their life together as a church. And Luke will emphasize that a couple more times as we go through. But that gives way to Acts 3 and 4, which really go together, where there's a particular miracle that happens uh, where Peter and John, uh, two of the apostles, uh, Jesus, through them, heals this lame man at the temple. And it creates a huge crowd coming together. And so Peter, of course, takes the opportunity again to tell them about Jesus and tell them the bad news that you killed him. And there's more people believing, and this is where we're going to start to see resistance in the book of Acts. And this is going to get more and more intense in this first movement in Acts 1 through 7, because in chapter 4, they're arrested, and they are amazed. I love Acts 4.12, where it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's right. They're seeing the same kind of boldness in them that they saw in Jesus. And so they end up, they don't, they're scared of the people because the people are amazed at this healing that's happened. But So they threaten them. They say, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go, finding no other way to, to punish them. Yeah. And so they get together with their own at the end, and they pray for more boldness. Yeah. I love that they don't pray that this goes away. They pray for strength to get through it. And one of the things you can observe as you go through Acts is the different ways that Satan tries to slow down this movement. Um, as Stephen has just emphasized, the first way he kind of goes at him is through persecution and using these different wicked men to try and stop them. But then Satan turns his attention internally toward the, to, toward the group in Jerusalem at this point. At the end of Acts 4, uh, you see some really good things happening with everyone sharing what they have, laying it at the apostles' feet so it can be distributed. But in chapter 5, the story 
tells us about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira who were lying about how much they had sold their property for, and they were acting like they had donated all of it when they had kept back some of it for themselves, which would have been totally fine, but they were lying about the amount so that they could have this perception of being very giving and being very selfless when really they were being selfish and prideful. And what ends up happening to Ananias and Sapphira is they are struck dead for their sin, and fear comes over the whole church in Acts 5 and verse 11 and over all who heard of these things. But the result is the church continues to grow. Mm -hmm. And so despite Satan trying to slow down the progress of the church by these sinful people in the Lord's church, um, the church is able to overcome that with the help of the Lord and continue to press on. Yes. And so as they come through this kind of internal struggle, there's a second round of resistance in the rest of chapter 5 where even more wonders and signs are being done by the apostles and there's more people coming to the Lord. Um, the high priests and the Sadducees especially get together and are they're filled with jealousy, which again, this all reminds us of Jesus. All, so many of the things that Jesus was doing and the things that were happening to Jesus in the Gospels are the things that the, his people are doing and are happening to his people in the book of Acts. So they're jealous of the attention they're getting and this time, even after some wisdom from Gamaliel, who's actually the, one of the guys that Paul studied with, we find out later, um, they are so mad at these guys that they end up beating them. Um, they, they threaten them again. They're like, we told you not to speak anymore in this name. You've done it. Now you're in bigger trouble. They, they are beaten. And it's amazing uh, what it says here at the end of chapter 5, verse 40. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Yeah. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease preaching or teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Yeah. Uh, just amazing uh, to see there's no way to get these Christians to be quiet. And we're really what we're going to see in the book of Acts is the only way to get the Christians to be quiet was to kill them. Yeah. Because no matter what you threatened them with, no matter how you punished them or locked them up, they were going to find a way to tell more people the good news about yeah. Jesus. And so Acts 5 ends with every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And I, I like that emphasis. It's in the temple to Jewish people who need to know about the Messiah. But also from house to house, they're going, it sounds like, kind of door to door to talk to others about who Jesus is, and you just see them being mission-focused there. That leads way into chapter 6 that kind of alternates back to some more potential internal strife and struggle. We learn that there is a portion of the Christians that is getting neglected, uh, the Hellenistic Jews. Um, their widows are getting overlooked in the daily serving of food, where the pure Jewish widows are getting served. And so there's almost this issue in here that could turn into an issue of race and very touchy and very hard situation. But it's brought to the attention of the 12 apostles and the congregation selects seven men among them that can step up and serve these widows and make sure that this problem gets taken care of. And uh, of those seven men, there are two that the book of Acts is going to follow uh, for a brief time, 
uh, Stephen, not the one sitting next to me, but a different Stephen. But Although this, I'm, na- I'm named after. This is your namesake. Um, and then Philip. It, how great would it be if my name was Philip? That would know? be really cool. <laughs> but uh, these two men will kind of take center stage for a, a time. But it's really encouraging to see the church work through this problem, despite it being a situation that could have split the church right down the middle. I mean, you could easily see them going, you know what? Us Hellenistic Jewish Christians, we'll go, we'll go over here and do our own thing. Y'all do your own thing. That's not what happens, though. They find a solution, and that's what the Lord's Church needs to do. When a problem is presented, we find a solution, and we prayerfully consider all of our options, and we work together for the common good. So it's really beautiful to see that Satan wasn't even able to interrupt them in that way because you see love in that congregation. Someone pointed out to me once, the, the word love never shows up in the book of Acts. But you see it all over the place. And this is one of those chapters where you very clearly see it. Yeah. But that sets up Stephen um, in chapter 6, This yep. one of these servants. Um, and really what's going to happen to him is he will be martyred uh, for the cause of Christ. Right. And so you see this continued escalation of the conflict. First they were threatened, then they were beaten, and now one of them is going to be put to death. And it records what Stephen was doing uh, and some of the amazing things he did. And it also records that the longest sermon actually in the book of Acts is Stephen's sermon to the council, who is some of the same people that killed Jesus. And they end up killing Stephen as well. He's stoned to death at the end of chapter 7. And this is also where we're introduced to a young man named Saul, who will be very prominent through the rest of the book, but in a very different way. We're introduced to him as holding the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death. Mm-hmm. He's approving. And this is, goes right into Acts chapter 8. This is an important uh, thing not to miss because we're about to pivot into a new section. Acts 8, 1 through 3, it says, And Saul approved of his execution, that is, Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So Saul, he thinks this is great. This is exactly what needs to happen. Jesus is some false prophet, and let's get rid of this movement. So this is a a really scary time to be a Christian, and Acts doesn't shrink back from showing us the kind of suffering that Jesus promised would happen. Um, Jesus said, There's going to come a day when people who kill you think they're serving God by doing that. And that's exactly what's happened to Stephen with Saul and these men who have put him to death. But what's going to be amazing about this is even in this dark moment of one of their own being killed and they're scattered to the winds, in verse 4 it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. How, how amazing is it just to see the resilience and the determination of this early church that even after they're scattered because of this persecution, they're just going to go preach the word somewhere else. Mm-hmm. If they can't do it in Jerusalem, they'll go do it somewhere else. And so this sets up um, several of the episodes that are about to happen. Again, phase one was chapters one through seven in Jerusalem. Now phase two, verses eight through 12, actually it's mentioned here in verse X8 verse two. Uh, or excuse me, in verse 1, they go to Judea and Samaria. And that is an important point to see. Evangelism was non-negotiable for them. That was going to happen wherever they were. And they didn't need to be stirred or poked to do it. It was a part of their person. It was ingrained in them to be talking about Jesus Christ 
And we need to have that same kind of mentality. It doesn't matter where we are. This is who we serve, and this is who we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, as we said, the story kind of focused in on Stephen for a second, one of those seven men that was appointed to serve. Now it's going to turn its attention to a guy named Philip, who later in Acts 21 is called an evangelist, uh, which is really cool. He's it's, one of the seven guys, along with Stephen, who is appointed to help the widows. And an evangelist is just simply a good newser, and uh, it's really cool that it it kind of waits to tell us that he's an evangelist until chapter 21 because you really more see that he's an evangelist in chapter 8. Um, because simply, it says in uh, Acts 8, 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. He's just telling the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what an evangelist is. He's down there telling people that Jesus is the Christ and telling them that they need to repent and be baptized. And remember, Samaritans were hated. Luke has highlighted that, yeah. like the Good Samaritan and some other things, and now they go to the Samaritans. Exactly. And so in Acts eight twelve, it says, when they believe uh, Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And there was this guy named Simon. Um, he was a sorcerer, kind of practiced like weird magic stuff and whatnot. He ends up repenting, and he becomes a Christian as well. And then James and John, uh, hear, or excuse me, Peter and John, hear about this great work that's going on down in Samaria, and they come down to Samaria to lay their hands on some of these men so that they may receive the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what's really cool about that, I think we emphasized it last week, is there was an account in Luke 9 where this very same John the Apostle was wanting to call down fire on these Samaritans. Yeah, right. And now here he is called down to... It's a different kind of fire to, to put on them. <laughs> um, it's the it's the Holy Spirit, uh, and so just to kind of see the full turnaround um, for the Apostle John, I think is really cool. Yes. Um, but this same Simon the sorcerer will end up reverting back into some old ways, and Peter calls him out for that, and he ends up needing to repent of that sin. Um, but the rest of the book of, or excuse me, the rest of chapter eight is Philip. Um, abruptly getting sent to preach to this Ethiopian eunuch um, that had left Jerusalem and was on his way back, and he ends up preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to him as well, and he is baptized. Yes, and that's a really cool account. One of the cool themes in Acts to look for is the conversion stories and to see how people receive the gospel, and they're coming from totally different backgrounds yes. sometimes. And wherever they are, the people with the gospel meet them where they are spiritually and start from there. Um, this guy was in his chariot reading Isaiah. It's all right, starting at this passage, he told him the good news about Jesus. And uh, Paul is going to have to start from some very different standpoints in some of his sermons later in the book of Acts. But as you read through Acts, notice the approach of bringing the good news to people, but also notice what they do to respond to the good news, um, the faith that they have, the confession that they have of who Jesus is, that he is the Lord, um, the fact that they're immersed, they're baptized into Christ is a really fascinating thing to see in several of these key accounts. Acts 2, we saw it, Acts 8, and again in Acts 9, in just a minute, we'll talk about the conversion of Saul and the way he is, that, that conversion story is told two more times in his yeah. defenses later in the book. And and baptism is a central part of conversion in the book of Acts, um, as well as repentance and seeing what repentance looks like. 
Uh, we'll see that especially later in some of Paul's journeys as they burn their magic books and yeah. things. But and it, this conversion might, accounts are a cool part of this. This might be a good um, spot as well to plug season two of HBG Bible Talks if you're just now jumping in and listening with us because we did a deep dive into each chapter of the book of Acts. But specifically, if you go to the end of chapter two, we look at some of those major themes of repentance and baptism. And I believe there's a whole episode on that that you can listen to. So you can feel free to go back and check that out. Yes. So in chapter nine, we have one of the most shocking things that happens in the book of Acts. And that is the conversion of one of the greatest enemies of the church. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, who will later be called Paul, starting in, on his first journey in chapter 13, but this, the same guy. This was the same guy back in chapter 8 that they were laying their coats at the feet of as they were stoning the Christian Stephen. Yes. And Jesus has a special appearance here. Um, he is risen, he has ascended, but he appears to Saul on the road to Damascus, where he's going to persecute Christians, and stops him in his tracks. He's blind for three days. And then a man named Ananias, God calls him, and he has the guts to go talk to the former persecutor. And he's converted. Mm-hmm. He becomes one of the most zealous servants of Jesus that we see in this whole book. And Acts is showing us, you, just, you never know who's going to accept the gospel. And so preach it to everybody, because you never know at what point in someone's life they may be ready to turn to the Lord. And this is going to, again, all this is setting up the rest of the book, but um, Saul is converted. And then at the end of chapter 9, we have several, uh, and really into chapter 10 and 11, we have three different um, accounts of Peter and some of the things he's doing. So we've followed Philip for a little while, and now we're really following Peter. Um, there's a couple of notable miracles that happen that are very parallel to things that Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Peter heals a man named Aeneas. Um, who lived at a town called Lydda, which is in Ju- Judea. Again, we're in Samaria, Samaria and Judea section here. And then there's a, a young woman named Dorcas or Tabitha, who is raised from the dead. And then the much longer one is an encounter that Peter has with a man named Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And we have here the first Gentile convert. And we don't have time in the episode today to talk about why this was such a big deal and yeah. how much discussion this is going to generate through the, the rest of a lot of the New Testament yeah. is them trying to wrap their minds around, no, the Gentiles are every bit as much a, a part of the people of God as the Jews, which goes all the way back to the promises to Abraham, right, yeah. that we started last yeah. season yes. with, you're in your, Abraham, in your family, all the nations, all the Gentiles of the earth will be blessed. And I just want to point out the three-chapter stretch we're on right now because it really emphasizes a point Stephen was making earlier. In chapter 8, you have an Ethiopian eunuch that is converted. That would have shocked a lot of people. In chapter 9, you have the biggest persecutor in the church becoming a Christian. And then in chapter 10, a Gentile becoming a Christian. It's all three of these different... um, All three of these, these completely different people from different backgrounds that are obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we as the readers are supposed to be going, well, if, if these three are allowed and capable of of becoming Christians, I can too, that this is meant for me as well, despite my background, despite what I've done, despite how much of an outcast I feel like, like the eunuch definitely would have felt, I can be a part of this movement. I can be a part of Jesus Christ. And so uh, th- that, I think, 
Luke does on purpose is to look at those three examples side by side to amaze us um, that we too can come and follow Jesus no matter what our background is. Yeah, and Luke's been emphasizing the outcast all through his gospel, yeah. and that continues right here into the book of Acts. At the end of Acts 11, we have the church at Antioch, and it's a really cool case study uh, worthy of uh, a lot of attention. We, should, we do, I think, a whole episode on them back in uh, uh, season two. But What's going to happen here is from Antioch, it's going to basically become the home base for Paul's work and his journeys, the rest of the book of Acts. And so it's really cool to see the beginning of that work and also to see the different kinds of people that were crossing social boundaries, racial boundaries, bringing all kinds of people in to work together in the church in Antioch. It's just a really cool example. Before we get to those journeys, though, Acts chapter 12 is kind of an interlude where uh, Barnabas and Saul are, are helping with some generosity and taking some support and help for uh, Christians who are going to be suffering in Jerusalem. They go there, and while they're there, um, apparently, James, again, this is the son of Zebedee, brother of John, uh, he is put to death by Herod. So we have another Christian dying in this chapter. And then they've got they got a hold of Peter as well. And so you think, well, Peter's going to die too. But Acts 12 is the story of how God spares Peter's life, miraculously releases him from prison, and the church is praying fervently for him, and he shows up, and they don't even know it. They don't even think it's Peter. Um, and uh, again, the Lord can, provides for the continuation of his work and by rescuing Peter um, from certain death. I mean, I think it was probably he's going to be put to death in the morning when yeah. he is uh, taken out of that prison. Yeah, and so uh, at the end of chapter 12, Herod is actually put to death, um, and the Lord intervenes because he is receiving this worship that is only worthy of God, and he is actually struck dead. Um, and that, I would imagine, as the Christians, would, would have been an encouraging thing to see, uh, to see the Lord taking vengeance for himself. Um, and that is a, also a theme throughout the book of Acts as well, that the Lord takes vengeance. Mm -hmm. We do not. Yes. So in chapter 13, uh, this church at Antioch that we've kind of been bragging about and talking about, the great congregation has a lot of different prophets and teachers in it, among which are Barnabas and Saul at this point. And the Holy Spirit is actually going to say, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And this church is going to fast and pray and lay their hands on them and send them off. And this begins this third movement of the book of Acts where Paul will be going on these various preaching trips around a lot of the world at that point. And so Saul will sail all over the place. One of the other things you keep an eye out for um, on these preaching trips is him taking a, a person with him. Um, Saul almost always has a, a co-worker with him of some kind, which there's a lot of wisdom in that as Jesus also sent them out two by two. And um, Paul will be bold. Um, it's in chapter 13 that I believe we also see the shift from Saul to Paul. And it is a... 13.9. Yeah, 13.9, thank you. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. And he will just rapid-fire approach, go from city to city, preaching and teaching Jesus as the Christ. But particularly what to focus in on in chapter 13 will be what is likely Paul's typical synagogue sermon. Because one of the things Paul will do as he enters into a city is he'll say, where's the synagogue at? Because that's where the Jews are. There's, there's the people who already have this foundational understanding of who God is. 
They just need to know who the Messiah is, who the Christ is. And so Paul's sermon will look similar to what Peter did in Acts 2, emphasizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because that is what is the staple of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And he will quote some of the similar passages that Peter used in Acts 2. That's right. And the reaction, there's kind of three reactions that he gets at the end of this sermon that are going to be a template in some ways for the other reactions we'll see in the later parts. The first is, um, hey, let's, let's hear this again. Um, we want to we see uh, this, we want to hear more about this. Um, the second is some people are filled with jealousy and contradict what Paul is saying. And third is that some accept it and follow. Um, so there's kind of a neutral reaction. There's a positive reaction and a negative reaction. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, it's like a sower going out to sow. There's going to be all kinds of reactions to the word. And we see that played out over and over again in the book of Acts. So watch for reactions to the gospel as we go through the book as well. So Paul um, goes on a, a shorter journey, his first journey, shorter than his others, um, where he, he goes through, through several cities in what we call modern-day Turkey. Um, again, so now we're beyond Judea and Samaria. Now we're spreading out into Gentile territory where, again, like you said, there's pockets of Jews. But a lot of people who are being converted are Gentiles. And the churches that are working together now are now Jew-Gentile churches. And unity is a big theme in this book. And so at the end of this first journey, it's kind of the end of chapter 14, they come back to Antioch and report all and declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And so in between the first and second journey, we have Acts 15, which is kind of a unique moment where we remember the conversion of Cornelius, a Gentile, back in chapter 10, where there are all these signs that accompanied that conversion, that God has accepted the Gentiles. They don't have to become Jews. But the question has not died yet. There's still a lot of internal problems going on. And in the church at Antioch, there are some people who come up from Jerusalem saying the Gentiles have to become Jews or they're not even saved. Now, this is a, not like a side issue. This is like, are these people saved or not? And so there's this huge debate that happens in Antioch. They're unable to resolve it there. And so they go back because these guys seem to claim to be from the apostles in Jerusalem. It's like, hey, we're going to go talk about this. And so the apostles and elders get together. You can read the whole uh, you know, debate that they have in Acts 15. But the fact is they didn't run away from doctrinal questions. They got together and they opened the word of God and they solved their issues. And so the missionary journeys are able to continue to the Gentiles because they're like, yeah, this is right. This is what the word of God says. It lines up with what God's been doing in the world. And that's just really helpful for us to see because, again, Satan is still trying to stop this. And one of the ways he can do that is to get doctrinal confusion, confusion about what's being taught. Is this right? And to get division to happen. And thankfully, the times that we see this coming up are resolved in the book of Acts. And there's just lots of good principles within these chapters to know how to resolve different issues like that. It's after that that the the Apostle Paul decides he's going to embark on this second journey. And there's a little bit of discussion with Barnabas as to uh, why they shouldn't take John Mark again. And what ends up happening is Paul takes Silas and goes one way. And then Barnabas takes John Mark and goes another way. But the story follows what Paul and Silas are doing as they make their way into Derby and Lystra and were introduced to a young man named Timothy. And that young man's going to be important because we're going to read and talk about two letters that were written to Timothy in a later episode of this season. But uh, 
Paul takes this young man all throughout the second journey, um, Silas and Timothy, and they come to a city uh, um, in chapter 16, uh, Philippi, and they end up converting what will be the church of Philippi, starting with a woman named Lydia, who was a seller of purple fabrics, and then a a jailer, um, likely, possibly from a Gentile background. And they will make up this church, although they are so different from one another. And Paul actually met this guy while he was in prison. And it is a really kind of cool story that, um, again, we'll have to reference you to season two to get into all the ins yes. and outs of. This is also the first place where Luke subtly enters the story. Uh, they apparently pick Luke up at Troas when they go to Philippi. And so Luke is, uh, you see, oh, we uh, start to do that. The first we passage is, is Acts 16, verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. And so it's just kind of cool to see that. Uh, which apparently Luke actually stays at Philippi. That's the next place we'll see him on the third journey. But the second journey continues through modern-day Greece. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is him getting chased out, isn't it? Yes, he <laughs> preaches the gospel until they get mad enough, and it's usually the Jews doing this, that they don't want Paul taking all this attention, and so they drive him out. Um, there's various levels of persecution. Again, different times he's arrested, different times he's beaten, but he never stops preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Acts 17, he goes to three different cities that received the gospel in different ways. Thessalonica, there's a little bit of response, but mostly they don't want to hear it. Berea, I love what it says about the Christians there, the Jews there. Acts 17:11. these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's just a perfect attitude mm-hmm. for how we ought to listen to different teachings. And then Paul comes to Athens, and this is a very interesting episode where uh, the city is full of idols, and Paul is provoked inside himself. It's like, oh, gotta, gotta say something about this. And so we have a very different kind of sermon in Acts 17 than we had in Acts 13, where he's preaching to pagan Gentiles or idol worshipers, and he's telling them about the one true God who didn't just make the sea or the sky or you know control the weather, but he made everything, mm-hmm. and he's the one true God. And so it's really interesting. It's very similar, different responses to this sermon as we saw in Acts 13. But nothing stops Paul from continuing to speak the word of God as uh, he has opportunity. So that gets him down into the city of Corinth. And one of the things that will be different about Corinth is the length of time Paul will spend there. A lot of the other places he's been few weeks at a time. It doesn't always specify, as Stephen talked about at the beginning of the episode. But we know in Corinth he was there for a year and a half because of chapter 18, verse 11. He was there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And eventually he will um, end that year and a half, and it will begin what will become the third missionary or preaching trip. Yeah, and that picks up in Acts 18, verse 23. Again, Luke just like... (laughs) goes so quickly between the second and third journey that you almost don't notice. Like, oh, whoa, this is like, he went back to Antioch, and then, uh, whoa, and now he's back on the third journey, and it fast-forwards us to Ephesus, where he spends longer than he does anywhere else that we can tell, at least three years, Mm -hmm. probably a little more, um, in Ephesus, and that comes to an end with this crazy riot that happens about uh, uh, one of the idol goddesses there, Diana or um, Artemis, of the Ephesians, because uh, they had this huge temple. I mean, wasn't it the temple of the Artemis was one of the 
Seven Wonders, Seven of, the wonders of, the, world. of the Ancient yeah. World. Yep. And so it's really cool to see, again, the intersections with history that happen here. So Paul, he wants to go into the mob that forms, and they rescue him from that. Yeah. But Paul um, spends more time in Ephesus than, than any other place. He continues on, and one of his goals on the third journey is he's taking up a collection for the needy Christians in Jerusalem. And we, we learn more about this through the letters that Paul writes. Um, that's another really cool thing to do in the book of Acts is to go back and fit the letters of Paul into the book of Acts because almost all of them fit somewhere in there. Sometimes it's hard to tell exactly where they fit, but First and Second Corinthians, Romans, all fit on this third journey that Paul um, mm -hmm. takes. And uh, as we go through the letters in future episodes in this season, we'll try to go back and put those letters back where they go in the book of Acts. And uh, that's always helpful for context. So he um, has this beautiful address to the Ephesian elders as he's heading back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. And this sets up kind of the, the last section of the book. When he gets back to Jerusalem, mm -hmm. Um, he has lots of other plans. We know from the book of Romans that he wanted to go all the way out to Spain and different things, but he knew he wanted to go to Rome. Yes, that was for sure. And he's going to end up in Rome, but not in the way that he probably anticipated. Yeah, so in chapter 21, um, just kind of like Jesus, people are stacking up accusations and getting irritated with the Jesus movement. You kind of see similar things with Paul. Um, people are starting to get really irritated with the influence Paul has and one of the things the Jews is going to accuse him of is taking a Gentile into the temple area. Um, and that was not at all true. It was a false accusation. And Paul will end up getting arrested for this. Mm -hmm. And it really takes the rest of the narrative of the book of Acts from this one arrest as Paul is eventually going to be shipped to Rome to be tried uh, for this very thing. Yeah, and a lot of it is because of political corruption. What yeah. should have been a short trial uh, turns into years in prison and uh, multiple times where Paul could have been, should have been released, but because of political favors or other reasons, the leaders do not do that, which is, again, very similar to what happened to Jesus. Pilate knew he was innocent. He still condemned him. People figure out, yeah, Paul's innocent, but he's not going to be released um, until... Uh, much much later. Well, actually, in the book of Acts, he won't be released. Uh, he's, the book is going to end with him, um, uh, you know, not free yeah. in, uh, in Rome at the end of the book. So, so what's going to happen here is there's going to be at least four different addresses that Paul makes to different groups of people as he's imprisoned in different places. Uh, the first one is in chapter 21 and 22, where he addresses the mob <laughs> that comes together. Mm -hmm. and that's, this is why he's arrested in the temple. It was, there was this accusation, he brought a Gentile and defiled the temple. And Paul is almost killed by the mob. The Roman soldiers actually kind of rescue him. <laughs> but from the steps of the Roman barracks, he addresses the people and tells about his conversion. Um, and they listen to him up until the point where he tells how he was sent to the Gentiles. Yeah. And that's why they're mad anyway, and so they stop listening at that point. One of the things Paul is good about is seizing the opportunity. It doesn't matter who he's standing before, he's going to find a way to talk about Jesus Christ. And you see that in multiple waves here on the last uh, several chapters of the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. So the second address that he makes is after he's arrested, he's brought before the Jewish council. 
And uh, this doesn't end well because of another buzzword that comes up. He talks about the resurrection. Yeah. Is, he's always talking about the resurrection. Which, by the way, that's another cool thing to look at in the sermons in the book of Acts. Wherever they start from, they always bring it to Jesus, and they always bring it to the resurrection from the dead. And the Pharisees and Sadducees had some differences about that. This is one of the places we actually learn about the beliefs of the Sadducees. And so the, the council trial, quote-unquote, ends in total confusion because the Pharisees and Sadducees are just going at each other. And they let Paul go away. At this point, people are still out to kill Paul. Even though he's a prisoner, they want him dead. So they try to get him to come for a quote-unquote trial again, but he hears about the plot and is delivered actually through his like young cousin, apparently, uh, who gets word of this and is able to tell the guards about it. So Paul is taken over to Caesarea, where he's going to end up spending a long time in prison. But it's there that he presents his third address to a man named Felix. Yeah, and so this is kind of where you see him going to the from the Jewish Jewish rulers, excuse me, to some of the rulers of, of men, to the Roman rulers, the Gentile rulers. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And and Felix actually had a decent understanding of not only Judaism, but he would have also understood a little bit about Christianity. In Acts 24, 22, it says, Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. And he tells them, you know, keep a close eye on him until until that happens. And Felix will arrive later with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jew, actually, and sends for Paul, and Paul speaks to him about faith in Christ Jesus. And what's really interesting is it says as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. And at the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Yeah, there's the political corruption. Exactly. And so you see a cat and mouse game happening with Paul as he's getting passed back and forth between one Jewish ruler to a Roman ruler, kind of back and forth and so forth, until eventually chapter 25, he is given over to Festus to hear out his case, and Agrippa yeah, well, as well. Because Festus takes Felix's place. I mean, he, he's there in prison for two years, and there's a transition of political power. Yeah, it so goes he, to Portius Festus. Yes. Um, and Felix uh, leaves Paul in prison, so now he has to go before Festus, where Paul will say some of the similar things he had said to Felix. That's right. And so Festus is also uh, helped along by Agrippa, which is very interesting. This, you know, Herod Agrippa. It's a very interesting political background to all of this. But Paul makes a couple of different addresses in chapters 25 and 26 to Festus and Agrippa. And there's a famous moment toward the end of this where he's really talking to Festus, but Agrippa speaks up at the end of Acts 26 in verse 28. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Um, It's just so amazing to see Paul's heart in the book of Acts and how much he wants the conversion of every person he talks to. Um, Even these Gentile rulers um, who are politically corrupt, and he knows that that they're in the system, but he's still trying to get through to their heart and trying to help them see you too can become part of this movement. You can be saved if you'll humble yourself and follow King Jesus. Um, So it's just really cool to see these little moments that Luke records for us in these trials. So Paul has appealed to Caesar, and so to Caesar he will go. And uh, he is eventually shipped off to Italy, to Rome, 
so that he can do that. But as in typical Paul fashion, it's not as easy as that. It's, it's, <laughs> no, indeed. You don't just get to Rome. Uh, chapter 27 records a shipwreck where Paul and many other prisoners were on their way to Rome, but the ship ends up getting wrecked because of this really, really bad storm that comes through. And in part because they don't listen to Paul, who that knows too. it's going to be dangerous. And it is a really interesting chapter because the people will go from listening to the captain of the ship to eventually listening to Paul and his instruction. And uh, Paul will, because he has God with him, know exactly what to do and it makes it clear to them that if you do and, and act exactly as I say, no one from the ship will die. And even though the ship wrecks, everyone is saved and they find their way over to this island called Malta. Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, Luke is now again with Paul for this shipwreck. It's probably one of the reasons we have so much detail in this chapter um, from Luke because he's present and recording all the different places they stopped and all the details of the conversations that happen. But it brings us to chapter 28, uh, the last chapter of Acts, where he finally does get to Rome. They initially land on a little island called Malta, and there's some interesting episodes there. But Paul gets to Rome, and there's one final address to the Jews um, who come to him. Again, he can't go to the synagogue. Um, he's probably chained to a Roman soldier at this point. And, but they come to him, and there's one more actually kind of rejection at the end of the book of Acts where many of them don't listen. And so Paul's okay. It's going to keep going to the Gentiles. <laughs> um, and even though Paul's imprisoned, the word of God is not imprisoned. This movement is continuing to grow and spread all over the known world. And the book of Acts ends with this statement, uh, Acts 28, verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Just so cool to think about uh, what is imprisoned at the end of the book of Acts and what is not imprisoned. Mm -hmm. Uh, The word of God is continuing to spread with boldness and without hindrance. It's a beautiful conclusion to this book. And, of course, it's the end of the book of Acts, but it's not the end of the gospel. Uh, here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the globe talking about these same events um, and the same gospel that has touched us. Um, so the, the book of Acts uh, gives us so many good principles for the spreading of the gospel um, and for how we live out the movement of Jesus um, in our world as well. Yep. Amen. So what we're going to do our best to do from here on out is look at some of the epistles that are in the New Testament, the the letters, and they kind of sprinkle into the book of Acts at different moments. And we're going to try our best to do that chronologically. We don't know exactly when some of these were written, but we have a vague idea. And so next week, Lord willing, we're going to jump into the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, which we had referenced Thessalonica at the beginning of Acts chapter 17. It was a place Paul had preached um, and taught at, and so... Lord willing, we're going to get into some follow-up letters that he writes to them after that event. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast today. If you're interested in studying with us, um, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949 or capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. If you're enjoying what you hear, please subscribe, leave us a rating or review so we can reach more people. Or for more information about group studies, both online or in person, uh, or to worship with us, check out capitalcitychristians.com.